Hey, good morning, Shana Toba. Today is Daf, is Daf Pei Dalet. Today's Shir is Le'ilu Nishmas. Ilana Bas Vili and Gila Bas Yitzchak Yisrael Halevi. May the Neshamas have an Aliyah and may the memory be a blessing. That's also for a full shleim of Hadassah Bas Reida Edel. May she have a complete and speedy recovery. Amen. Okay, so the Mishnah was discussing, we started the new parent yesterday, and the Mishnah was discussing um, when a husband's, when a person, specifically in our context, a husband claims, Dinud Vorin, Aini, I have nothing to, I have no legal claim on it. And the last point under the, under the, well, the, the first discussion was the payros, remember the wife inherits, next day Meluk, and she brings where the husband's allowed to get benefit from the payros. The first discussion was, it's going to become relevant, can he claim, if he claims any dinud um, vorim, so is it, um, yeah, I have no, uh, what's it, dinud vorim only. In your assets or their produce, I have no claim, I have no legal claim. I, he's relinquishing his rights to take them. And then the last clause, which is what we're going to discuss now, is Rabbi Shumar Gamil says, even if he says, even after Misa, what's he saying? I'm not going to inherit my wife, it will go back to original family. Rabbi Shumar Gamil says, the Tanaal bottle. The claim is nullified. Why is the claim nullified? I mean, he gives his reason. Anyone who makes a condition against what is written in the Torah, the claim is cancelled. Either deal stands, but the claim is cancelled. And it's a, it's a fascinating concept. So here, according to Rabbi Shimon Kamil, the Torah comes along and says that a husband inherits his wife. So a husband is not allowed to come along and say... Uh, will not inherit you. Let's make a condition, let's make a deal that I don't inherit you. Any, condi- any such condition is against what is written in the Torah and therefore it's cancelled. We actually saw this as earlier on in the Masechta and where Rabbi Yehuda holds the opposite and that was can a man marry a woman, can he do Kiddushin on condition He says I will not, can he marry a woman on condition that he doesn't have to provide her with food and clothing because there again um, Rabbi Yehuda said he can. He says that's a monetary matter. Monetary matters granted the Torah give guidelines, but it's left up to the two parties to <laughs> draw up the legal work and decide the conditions. As Rabbi Shimon Gamil seems to hold that even with Dinei Mamoros, even in monetary matters, you can't make a condition. Um, okay, so let's see the Gemara inside. So Omar Rav, the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon Gamil, but not for the reason Rabbi Shimon Gamil said. Again, if a husband says, I have no claim on your assets even after death or after death, I imply that he will not inherit his wife. Rabbi Shimon Gamil says he does not inherit his wife. But, um, and the reason, as we just explained, is because you can't make a condition against what is written in the Torah. Rab says, I agree with the halacha, that the condition is cancelled. I, the, Everything goes through, and he will inherit his wife, but v'loi mitamei, for a different reason. My halacha k'rebishimu gamil v'loi mitamei. What does Rab mean when he says the halacha is like k'rebishimu gamil, but not for the same reason as k'rebishimu gamil? Says, Eli, now let's suggest halacha k'rebishimu gamil to im mesa yorsheno, Maybe, so he agrees with Rabbi Shimon Gamil that if she dies, the husband will inherit her. The love me tamay, but not for the same reason. Rabbi Shimon Gamil holds that if someone makes a condition against what is written in the Torah, the condition is cancelled. And Rav holds, the claim stands. Oh, so then why does he not inherit her? Again, remember, Rav says, I hold for the same halacha, that he does not inherit her. So if Rav's saying that when someone makes a condition, let's keep it to a monetary condition, it stands. It's not time. 
the Rabbanon, because Rav Holt Yerusha Sabal is the Rabbanon, but Chachomim also Chizukli Divrayim, Yosef Michel Torah, and Chazal strengthened their words more than they strengthened the Torah's words. So Rav argues on the fundamental principle of is the, if someone makes a condition against what is written in the Torah, for example, a husband says, I will not inherit my wife, is his condition, according to Rabbi Gamil, the conditions cancel, according to Rav, it stands. Oh, why does Rav agree in this case that a husband does inherit his wife? Because it's a mitzvah drabonin. Very interesting. You often hear it. On the surface, there should almost be no difference between the a way you approach a Doraisa halacha or a drabonin halacha. The Torah says you have to do X. Chazal came along and said you have to do Y. Equally, you have to do it. But we always hear people say, well, it's only, isn't it only rabbinic trying to find a loophole, a way out? So we see that people sometimes treat rabbinic laws more, uh, more flippantly, carelessly, or with not as great uh, consideration. And therefore, the rabbi, the, the rabbi sometimes came along and actually they strengthened, they reinforced what they said by making it stricter than the Torah law. So that's what Rav, that's what we're suggesting Rav holds here. Um, just interesting on that point, I mean, we know that there are, there are major differences between Torah and Rav Moran, but almost those differences are almost built into the Rav Moran. They're not like essential to, or we can debate how essential they are, but they're not essential to the Rabbon. For example, we say, if you have a Sophic in a Rabbonon, Lahakil, you can go lenient. Whereas Doraisa, Sophic Doraisa, Lachumra, you have a Sophic in a Doraisa, you go strict. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, they bring it with brochas, but brochas you run into other troubles because of Sophic, because of saying Hashem's name in vain. But in most brochas, if you're not sure if you said it, you don't repeat it. Whereas benching, which is Doraisa, you're not sure if you said it, you do repeat benching. So that's what we see. Um, but in general, uh, in general, the laws governing Trabonin, we go a little bit more lenient. On Shabbos, if someone's ill, so you rather transgress a Trabonin than a Doraisa. If someone's, we also say, if someone's ill, most Trabonin, obviously depends on their level of illness, Durabonals don't apply, whereas Doraisa supply with the sick are healthy. Um, so they are, but those, it seems, those Chazal actually built into their mitzvahs. They're not intrinsic to being a Durabonal. Why would Chazal build in these leniencies? So very, there's a very interesting discussion. Is don't want to go into the whole discussion, but I'll just mention it in short. We know one of the Surim in the Torah is, it's Baltosif and Baltigro. You're not allowed to add to the Torah, detract from the Torah. So how can the rabbis come along and add to the Torah? So one of the explanations, firstly, if they do it for a temporary amount, for a limited time, then they're not adding to the Torah. They're making a special ruling for a special scenario. So that would be fine. That's why you sometimes hear um, certain things were made for a certain time and then either continued as an accepted minna. One of the famous ones is, I don't know if you've ever heard, the Takon of Rabbeinu Gershon, that a person is not allowed to marry two wives. And that he's not allowed to divorce his wife against her will. So that takana initially seems some Rishonim hold was made only for a certain amount of time. For a, I don't know, I don't remember what year it was up until until the year 1500 or whatever it was. But that's again because you can't add to the Torah, but you can make a specific ruling for a specific specific time. Um, obviously, we accepted that as the minag and the mitzvah past his deadline. That would almost be then a different, uh, a different discussion. Um, one second, and then another one is building in a leniency into it, so that it's not the same as a Doraisa. Then you show, then you're not adding to the Torah, you're highlighting that it's a mitzvah Durabolan and not a mitzvah Doraisa. So that could be why they built in these leniencies and these conditions. But sometimes, again, as we see, also Chizukletivrayim, they strengthen their words. Yeah, what did you know? Yeah, that is and that's when they instituted the Torah. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and then we kept up the minhag. Yes, yeah. so that would be similar. Um, 
I mean, I'm just trying to think now. Kriya Satara on Shabbos is at Doraisa Drabbanan. Instead, we have to listen to Torah reading. Is Haftara now Drabbanan? Is Haftara adding on to already a mitzvah Drabbanan? I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, okay, so where are we holding at the moment? That Rabbi Shimon ben Gamil and Rav both rule that our, the wife would inherit her husband, but from a different aspect. Because Dorai said to now bottle. Rav holds to now but since this that a husband inherits his wife is only mid Rabbonan, they strengthen it and said to now bottle. So, what just two, so yeah, just to highlight it before we go further, there's actually two machlokes at play here. One is in a mitzvah Dorai said we say to now bottle or to now which we say that Rav and Rabbi Gamil are arguing. And then the second point under discussion, is this that a husband inherits his wife? Is that the Orisa or only Midrabbonan? Rishon Gamil holds us the Orisa and Rav holds it's Midrabbonan. Now the Gemara says, does Rav really hold that if someone makes a condition against what's written in the Torah, it stands? We're going to prove that it doesn't stand. It's been said, I'll do the sale with you on condition you have no claim of Onah against me. You know, one of the halachas brought is lois sonu ishes amiso. A man's not allowed to afflict his friend or nah, charge or now nah, what's that? You're not allowed to charge more than a, th- a sixth of the value. Now, what happens now generally if someone would charge a sixth and the person comes can take him to court and depending on the amount either get reimbursed for the excess he paid or cancel the sale. So. So what happens if someone says, I'll enter the sale with you on condition, you know, I have no claim of honor against me. So he says, Rav Omar, Yeshel of Rav says it still has the halachas of honor, Shmuel Omar, Enol of and Shmuel says it does not have the halachas of honor. And we see Rav holds that the condition is cancelled. If I say to you, I'll sell you my bag for 600 rand, turns out on condition that you can't claim or not, turns out my bag's worth 400, far less than a sixth. So can you now take me to court to get it back? Ralph holds no, because Ralph holds the claim is cancelled. Sorry, Ralph holds you can take me to court because the, the Torah says you're not allowed to charge or not, so you can't make a condition that I'll sell you this with or not. It says, Ella, halacha so, so, so we stuck. So Rav clearly holds that Tatna is bottle. So again, what did Rav mean when he said the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon Gamil, and that the husband still inherits the wife, but not for the same reason as Rabbi Shimon Gamil? So it's Ella, halacha Rabbi Shimon Gamil to Amar Amash, Amash, bottle. That Rabbi Shimon Gamil holds that if someone makes a condition against what's written in the Torah, that claim is cancelled. Not for the same reason. Rabbi Shimon Gamil holds that if she dies, the husband inherits her. And Rav holds that if he dies, the husband does not inherit her. Because Rav holds that it's only Midrabbonon inheriting his wife. Now the Gemara asks, wait. Says this is the same reason applied as Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, but the opposite halacha. Yeah, both Rav and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel hold that the claim is waived. Just Rabbi Shimon Gamliel holds this that a husband inherits his wife is Dorais, and Rav holds it's Rabbonah. So Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says he inherits his wife because the claim is cancelled, and Rav says he does not inherit his wife because it's only Rabbonah and the claim stands. What do we see? But that's arguing la halacha with Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. And Rab said that he agrees with la halacha. So ela halacha Rabbi Shimon Gamliel to Omar imay so your shen of lami tamay ilu says no. Rather you have to say that this is what Rab meant. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says if she dies he inherits her. But not for the same reason as Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel because Rabbi Shimon Gamliel sovar holds but the arisa to no bottle. In a Doraisa Halacha, the claim, the condition is cancelled. And if it's Rabbonon, the claim stands. Now Rashi holds, we actually can discuss all this from our Mishnah. Because what happens if the husband says to his wife, Ainli Dinud Vorim, regarding firstly the Peiroth, to the produce, which is definitely only Midrabbonon. And I won't inherit you. So, according to 
Rebishim ben Gamliel, the condition against the payros stands. Either husband is not allowed to get benefit from the payros since he said, I have no claim on them. But he still inherits her because that's no right. But Rav Sovar, I feel bottle, and Rav holds in both those place, cases, the claim is cancelled. So Moraz, oh, hi, Katameh, who? Says that's both the reason and the halacha, the exact same as Rabbi Shem Gamliel. But Rav Moisef, when Rav's just adding an additional point. In the Doraisa halacha under discussion, does a husband inherit his wife? Rav and Rabbi Shem and Gamliel, according to this way of learning, are the exact same. So what is. Um, and Rav's just adding a point regarding a Tintarabonan. So that can't be what Rav meant. So he says, Ella. Rather, this is what Rav meant. The halacha is like Rabbi Shimon Gamil that says, if she dies, he will inherit her. But not for the same reason. Because according to Rabbi Shimon Gamil, Sovari holds, Yerusha's habal to orisa, he holds Yerusha Sabal is Dorais and anyone who makes a condition against what is written in the Torah, the condition is cancelled. But Rav Sovar Yerusha Sabal Drabonon, and Rav holds that Yerusha Sabal is Drabonon. And the Rabbonon strengthened their halacha to the same degree as the Torah. Right? So both hold that the husband still inherits the one. If he says, yeah, the Nechzei Meluk, I have no claim on them even after your death, no, he's still inherited. And what are they arguing in? They argue, and they both agree that, yo, tenar bottle, the claim against what is written in the Torah is cancelled. What are they arguing in? They're arguing in, is it Doraisa or is it Drabon? Rabbi Shem Gamil holds it's Doraisa, and that's why the claim is cancelled. And Rav holds it's only Drabon, and Chazok and Chachomin strengthen, so even in a Drabonin, the claim is cancelled. Now the Gemara asks, oh, Rav Sovar Yerusha Sabal Drabonin? you telling me that Rav holds that uh, this, that a husband inherits his wife is only Drabonin? We're going to bring a Mishnah, a cryptic Mishnah, and explain it, and, and Rav's explanation of it will sound like Rav holds that it's actually Doraisa. So let's see, but Tran, we learned in a Mishnah. Rabbi Yochanan ben Roika, Amr Rabbi Yochanan ben Roika says, "Hayoresh es ishto yachzir lifnei mishpacha, v'yinak elohem in adamim." If someone inherits his wife in the yovel year, the, the field returns to the family, her family, and he deducts money from the value. It seems he has to sell it at a discount to the family. Now, we analyze this. Let's just, just to go back one halacha that's under discussion, we know that if someone buys or is given a gift of inherit of uh, of uh, portion in Eretz Yisrael, in the Yovel year, in the Jubilee year, it returns to the original owner. So that would almost be a way, this is what we're, trying, we're playing with at the moment, is that it's a litmus test to see is it this that it transfers the Orisa like inheritors? then it would not return to anyone in the Yovel year because that's how it moves, the land moves through inheritance. But if you'd count it as a Dindra Bonanai, it's given to him by the rabbis, then it would go back because it's kind of a gift. So but so that's on the one hand it says, this is, we're going to answer this in the Gemara, but it says, it returns to the family in the Yovel year. And then on the other hand it says, but, he, but they pay him a discounted rate. I'd have to pay him for it. So which one is it? There's Vavinon boy, and we analyze it. Michael Sova, what is this? What does Rabbi Yochanan ben Roika hold? If he holds that this that a husband inherits his Doraisa, why does he have to return it in the Yovel year? He gets to keep it. And if he holds this only while we're discussing any money exchanging hands, it should go to them without them having to pay. So for Omar Rav, and Rav says, Olam Kosov Yerusha Sabal Doraisa. Rav says he holds that Yerusha Sabal Doraisa. Now this is why we bring in this whole discussion, because we hear, see, hear Rav saying that Yerusha Sabal is Doraisa. But let's just follow it in our discussion. Or Kagon, however, the case here is Shorishto Ishto Beisakvoros, where he inherited the family cemetery burial plot from his wife. And Mishum Pagam and therefore it's degrading to the family. It's degrading to the family that now 
They're going to be strangers buried in... Remember, the wife inherited this land, and now she's bequeathed it to her husband. So then this burial plot. So now they're going to be strangers buried in that family's burial plot. And they're going to be... And their family's going to have to be buried in a different place. So it's the double... It's that, so that's why it's a Pagamish Vacha. So Omar Rabbonin, Lishkol Tamei Ulahader. Rabbonin says he should accept money and return it. Are you right? To Orisa, he gets to keep it because the, he inherited it from his wife and the Yovilio doesn't make it go back. But out of respect for her family, he should sell it back to them. Oh, mine, Benaki or Hemina Domin. Oh, what does it mean? Detract, deduce the money from it. Sorry, reduce or yeah, give them a discount. It says, no, to make Heber Ishtar, he must sell it excluding his wife's burial. Because he has to bury her anyway. So when he's selling back the burial plot, he sells it excluding his wife's burial, his wife's grave. And Kitatanya, this is like we learned in a bride, Sahamose Kivro, Vajera Kivro, Mamodo, Mokom, Espedo. If someone sells his burial plot, the path to his grave, the Mahmud and the place of the Hesped are the places where they would stop and say eulogies and mourn along the way. The family can come along and bury him against their will because of the slight on their family, I, that, he's caught, that he's going to be buried somewhere totally differently. So, but, so, you know, so very interesting, we see that really Yerusha's Ishto is Doraisa, a burial plot, we just tell him he must sell back. But obviously not his wife, because he has to bury her anyway. But again, our question is, we just said that Rav holds that a husband inheriting his wife is only Midra Bonin. So that's what the Gemara answers. No, Rav, let's in Rabbi Yotanan. Ben Broika, come of Lelo Rav is explaining Rabbi Yotanan, Ben Broika, but that is not how he holds. I, Rav is, Rav saying, how do we understand the mission of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika, etc. But if you asked him how he passed, he said, I don't pass like that, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika. Okay, so that's no problem. Just interesting that discussion, that's a side point here. Firstly, where would you say a woman should be buried? I mean, we have the middle of burying a husband and a wife next to each other. From this piece, it sounds like you would actually bury her in a family burial plot, and him obviously in his family's burial plot. Okay, just something to think about. What's the, what's the history and where would couples be buried? Um, so what's the Yovel year got to do with anything? We speak about the land goes back in the Yovel year. Oh, that's when he must give it back to the family. Obviously they have to pay him for it, but we make him give it back. We make him sell it back because of the, it's degrading to the family that they're now to get buried in a different burial plot and all strangers are going to be buried in their ancestral burial plot. But what's Yovel got to do with anything? It shouldn't matter which year it is. Whichever year inherits his wife, he should have to give it back. So, so, so why did we bring in Yovel? So Tossus explained that, no, because the rest of the year, it's not so clear. Because everyone knows that everyone's land's moved around, you know, people have sold it and whatever, but it always goes back to the original owner. So there's no Pagamish Vacha. All of a sudden, Yovel arrives, and everyone's getting their land back and what they sold and everything, and this family's burial plot is not returning back. So in Yovel year, that's when you would notice the Pagamish Vacha, that when it becomes apparent that they're this insult to their family name, that they've lost their burial plot. So that's why we bring in Yoifel. Okay, let's go on to the new Mishnah. Um, but is it too late to return it? Uh, because they've already buried the family in another place. Um, so oh, you're saying like over the last, whatever, let's well, say, it's all the Yoifel. That's an interesting question, I'm not sure. Must be they, maybe then they would make him sell it earlier. You're saying anyone who, they sold it in the tent year of the Yovel, so there's 40 they years they left. They assume that the people, uh, I don't elsewhere to come back to the family plot. I'm not sure. I imagine that maybe they would force him to sell the plot earlier if someone needed to be buried there. 
thank God every 50 years. So this yeah. burial block could have transferred to the husband in year 10 of the Yobel and anyone who dies over the next 40 years. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, okay, the next question is just a little bit of introduction before we get into the next question. No? Firstly, if someone owes money and dies, okay, so the Baal Chob, we're also going to discuss a woman, she's considered a creditor for many halachas to collect a tzuba, are not allowed to collect from the Taltalim. They can only collect from land. So again, when they're going to the orphans and they're saying, we're owed money from your father's estate, they can't collect from the Taltalim, only from orphans. Um, so that's all on the assumption that the metaltolin, that the money's in the orphan's hand, that the orphans hold, are holding on to it. They have the estate. And are you coming to take from them? That's the surface of the discussion. What happens if the money is in someone else's hand? That's what we're going to discuss. Basically, Ruvain owes money He's died, so the orphans have some of the inheritance. But for whatever reason, he's left some money or some articles with another person. So that says, Someone who died, and he left a wife, creditors, and heirs. So again, the wife and the creditors are claiming from the estate basically as. As, as creditors, people are owed money by the estate, and the Yorshim inherit the estate. And he has a deposit, or he's lent money to someone else. Rabbi Tafran says, they give it to the one with the weaker claim. I, the, they don't give that money, let's say a, a, lo, a loan, they don't pay back that loan to the orphans, or they don't give the item back to the orphans, they give it to the woman or the balchov with a weaker claim, the koshal shebahem. We'll see what that means soon. Rabbi Akiva, Aimer, 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 but then Rabbi Akiva says, can't show compassion in judgment, you have to be just and fair. You have to give the, again, this person who's holding on to this item that the father inherited, he has to give it or, the, or who borrowed money, he has to give it back to the Yorshim, because anyone who wants to collect from the orphan's estate has to take a shpua, whereas the orphans don't have to take a shpua. I would, if someone owes you money and then they die, and you're going to collect, so you go to the orphans of the state, and you say, your father owed me money, you have to take a shpua to collect that money. So what should we keep bringing out from there? We see that he is considered the one holding on to it. Rebbe, and so, so Rebbe Tarfon says, no, he's not. You can't say that the orphans are holding on to the state and therefore to collect from it, they can only collect from land. This item is by someone else. It's by a totally different person. So they can get it from him. Rebbe Kippur comes along and says, no, we see by the fact that they have to take a shvur to collect it, the orphans are considered the ones holding on to it. Now we're giving a, a scenario to, very similar, based on the same principles. The father left detached fruit on the land. So they generally considered mataltalim. It says, Whoever gets hold of them first gets to keep them. So again, whether it's the orphans who go and collect this fruit first from the land, or the woman, or the creditor. Says now the Gemara, the, the Mishnah points out, Zochta Ishi Yosem Mixubas or Balchov Yosem Alchayva. If the woman collected more than her tuba or the Balchov more than what was due to him, uh, she quickly she knew that once the orphans get hold of the metaltalin, she's going to have to only collect from land, and it's going to be much harder. So she runs into the field with her pickup truck, loads it with all the produce, and drowns off. She gets home, she evaluates it. Turns out her tuba was worth 200 money and she's collected 300. So what does he do with the extra 100? The leftover, Rebbe says, you give it to the weaker one. Either orphans are very strong, so you give it to the other party. If it was the woman who took the excess produce, she gives it to the creditor. If it was the creditor who took the excess produce, he gives it to the woman as a tzuba instead of to the orphans. Rebbe Kiva says, We do not show compassion in judgment. You give it to the heirs. Because we know that the heirs require shvur, 
everyone, sorry, everyone else requires a shua and the heirs do not require a shua either. Even though this money was never in their hands, it's still considered the heirs and his proof is that they have to take a shua. Yeah. And this mission is based on the principle that when you have a loan or a woman's own of silver, it's not bonded to the metaltalin of the estate. It's only bonded, mishabdi, to the karka, to the land. Um, and therefore, when they come to collect their debt, again, they can only collect from the karka, because that's what's bonded to their land, to their debt, but not from the metaltalin. And Rabbi Tarfid says, however, if the metaltalin are not in the hands of the orphans, then they could. Um, interesting, they did change this halacha, not to exactly when, but it seems in the times of the Goyim, when they realized not everyone owned land. Now you're going to make it next impossible for a, no one's going to want to lend money because if he does, they're not going to help you. But he can leave a, a fortune, he can leave a car, a slave, uh, cash in the bank, etc. And they'll never, you can have the, the fanciest gold uh, cutlery and stuff and he's not going to be able to collect because he doesn't have land. So they changed the halacha to, to what works. Um, but that, but at essence, this is the din. Why do we have to teach whether off when this guy who died had money, either a loan outstanding, loan that was owed to him, or money or, or items deposited by someone else? Just say one of them and we'll deduce the other. It says no. Maybe if it only taught a loan, we would say Rabbi Tavon says it's halacha specifically by loan because that's given to spend. Whatever the borrower is holding on to is 100% the borrowers. And therefore, when he's going to pay the debt back to the estate, the state has very little... You can't count the orphans who hold the estate as holding on to it. Maybe that's where Rabbi Tarfun holds halacha. But a picodon... Picodon is like a deposit, or I give you something to watch for me, or you borrow something, that would be a picodon. The items in existence. So maybe he agrees to Rabbi Akiva that it's still considered the orphans. Says the Itana Bahal, if it would have only taught the case of the Picotan, Bahal Kamarabikiva. Maybe that's where Rebikiva argues and says that it's considered orphans. Aval Bahana Amai Moidil Rebitarfon, but in the Ama Moidil Rebitarfon, maybe with a loan he would agree to Rebitarfon. Therefore, we need both to see that they argue regarding both of them again. So Ruvain gives you his, um, his watch to look after, and then he dies. Or he lends you money, and then he dies. So they each have a the the picardon in a way. The orphans just have to go and collect that item. So there's more reason to say that we can view it as if the orphans are holding on to it, unlike a loan where there's nothing tangible that is the debt. Okay, carrying on. My lakoisha. What do we mean when we said you give it to the Rebbe Shimon? Uh, remember, Rebbe Tarfon said the weaker, the one with the weaker claim. Gets it. So Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Chanina, Amel Koshel Shabariah, the one whose proof is weakest. And Rabbi Yochanan Amel Luxubas Isha Mishum Chinah. And Rabbi Yochanan says, no, you give it to Luxubas Isha because of Chinah, because of favor. I'll tell you what favor means. But first, what's the weakest proof? So Rashi, uh, Rashi explains that the one who has the most recent document. Remember, if I take a loan. All my land is bonded to the loan. And if I sell any of that land, the creditor, and then I don't pay back the loan, the creditor can go and collect from the Lukuchi. So here, the person, so the more recent your document, the date on your document, the weaker you are. Because the, I'll say it the other way around, the earlier the document, the more, the stronger you are, because any land is owed in the interim, you can go and collect from. Whereas if your document's only from last month, it's only the land that is owned in the last month. So that's how that's how Rabbi Yosi Rabbi Chanina says you give it to the one whose document is weaker, I more recent. And Rabbi Yochanan says, no, you give it to the one to find favor. Now interesting, there are two ways of looking at this. What, what does it mean because of favor? So Rashi says, you want to make it that women are more encouraged to get married. So you make it easier for them to collect the exuber. So you say, you know what? We know you're not supposed to collect from a talplet. But if at the time of death anyone is holding on to land, you'll have uh, onto metal to live. Anyone else besides the orphans are holding on to the metal to live, you'll have first claim. 
So that's why it makes women more, that's the chinna, it makes women more likely to get married. Tosis actually learned the opposite way around, says no. It makes a woman more likely to get remarried. And if, if, uh, because she's wealthier, and it's easier for her to collect her tzuba, so she will be wealthier, it makes it a more attractive proposition for other men to marry her. Okay, Ketnai, and this is a, actually a Tanoim, Rabbi Binyom, Omila Koshesh the one who gets the weaker, who has the weakest proof, Hoi Koshesh, that's the correct way to behave, give it to that person, Rabbi Loza, Omila Tzubas Isha, Mishum China, and Rabbi Eloza says you give it to the Tzubas Isha. Hey, Miach, Peros Hatlushim. Then the second of the mission was, if you leave detached fruit, remember we said, so the wife or the creditor drive in and fill up the pick, their pickup truck with the produce and drive off and then there's leftover. And he says, Rabbi Akiva, my area moisa, why does Rabbi Akiva only argue on the leftover? I, in our Mishnah, we, Rabbi Tarquin says the leftover you give to the weaker, to the other party. Either the woman would give it to the creditor or the creditor would give it to the woman. And Rabbi Akiva says, no, you give the leftovers back to the Yorshim. Why does Rabbi Akiva, Kulunami, the Yorshim, Havud, all belongs to the Yorshim? So he says, You're right. Rabbi Akiva would hold, doesn't matter whether it's the Moisar or the actual value, you have to give it back. That's just what Rabbi Tarfun was discussing, so Rabbi Akiva addresses that. Very interesting. What's a, again, what's a, um Because remember, Rabbi Akiva's principle is based on that the Yorshim are considered Muxak, they consider the ones who are holding on to it, and anyone who wants to come and take it has to bring a Shvua to collect it from them, and not from a Tartan, only from land. So Rabbi Akiva, doesn't matter whether it's the actual produce that's been left in the field to the value of the Tzubo, to the value of the debt, or more than that. The same principle is at essence, that it belongs to the heirs, and they can't take it, the woman or the creditor can't take it, because it's Okay, but if you keep it the Gemara, the Rashi explains, it seems that they had a tradition, they knew that Rabbi Akiva agrees in some point. So they said, Rabbi, does Rabbi Akiva never hold that, the, again, the creditor or the Isha can grab? Yes, if they grabbed it while the person was still alive. So if they went and they took the produce or took some of the money, or took the uh, the peacock on the the watch that was that he had left by his friend while the person was still alive and then he died. They considered muftak. It's only this is all where it plays out after death that Rabbi Akiva says no, he has to return it. Okay, let me tap into Monchi Heicha. Now, contrary Tarfun, where is this produce left? I spoke about them driving into the field and taking the produce, but that was actually very inaccurate because. Um, the field is the heirs, so it's in their land. They're obviously considered the one who holds on it. Your, your, any item in your property is as if you're holding on to it. So it can't be that they're driving into the orphan's land to collect it because the orphan's already moved. So Rabbi Shmuel says, only where it is in the public domain. I, for whatever reason, this produce was piled up in the public street. But even if it's in the corners of the Rishus Harabim, they would not be allowed to take it. The, 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 the orphans would be considered Mufsak. The Simti is like the little corners of the Rishus Harabim. By the corners, where remember most people are going to be walking down the main street and where it turns or where there's like a corner or something, that like little bit is going to be like a fairly quiet spot. So people would often, to transact, move. You know, you move out the main road to the side of the street to the little corner to do a bit of business there. Um, and that's the... Uh, that, that's, but they're, they're holding that that symptom, it's, it's semi-public. The, these, the creditor and the woman cannot take possession there. Rabbi Yochan Rishlokish hold even in a symptom. Okay, now we're going to go into a few court cases that happen regarding these halachas. So, Dun Dayana, Rabbi Tarfun, there was a case where they, judges, judged like Rabbi Tarfun. I, they allowed the creditor or the woman to take possession of the debt or the picadon. It says, Reish Lokish made them return it. I, we don't pasken like Rabbi Tarfun, we pasken like Rabbi Akiva. And therefore, what rights do you have to? Therefore, when the judges made a mistake in Paskin like Rabbi Tarfun that this creditor, this woman, could keep the metaltalin, he made them return it to the orphans. So, Amalei Rabbi Yosan and Asisha Keshel Torah, 
You've made Rabbi Akiva like a Din Torah. Rashi explains like a halacha like a halacha that we have to follow straight from Moshe. Now what's Rabbi Yosran's issue? Is granted you're supposed to paskin like Rabbi Akiva. If you're already paskin like Rabbi Tarifon, who says you have to ret- who says the judges have to retract their opinion? Granted, again, in the first instance, you should always pass an Akrabi Akiva, but not this. So, Lema Bohokim, if you let's say they argue in the following. The Maris of a Tabit of a Mishnah Choyser, Maris of a Tabit of a Mishnah Enochoyser. The one opinion holds if a, if a judge makes a mistake in a clear ruling, he has to retract. And the other opinion holds if he makes a mistake in a clear ruling, he does not have to retract. I, Reish Lokish holds, the judges made a mistake in an obvious ruling, you rule like Rabbi Akiva over Rabbi Tarifun. I have to retract the halacha. And Rabbi Kiva holds, no, you don't. So Moran says, Lord, no. The Kuli Amatabadvar Mishnah Choyzer. Everyone holds that if the if the judges make a mistake in an obvious halacha, they have to retract. Rabbi Yochan holds the halacha is like Rabbi Akiva over his colleagues, but not against his Rebbe. And Reish Lakish holds the halacha is like Rabbi Akiva even against his Rebbe. I.e. Rabbi Tarfon was actually a teacher of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva rose to the level to be basically his equal, but he was his teacher. So when we have this principle, this tradition, that we say the halacha is always like Rabbi Akiva over his colleagues, is that even when he's arguing on his Rebbe? So Reish Lakish holds yes. And Rabbi Akiva seems all not so straightforward. It says, but you boys, I'm alternatively you can say the Kuliyama halacha Rabbi Akiva mechavor of Elohim Rabbo. Maybe everyone agrees that halacha is like Rabbi Akiva over his colleague, but not over his Rabbi. The argument is, how do we understand Rabbi Tafron? Do we view Rabbi Tafron as Rabbi Akiva's Rabbi, and therefore we would not necessarily pass like Rabbi Akiva? Or do we view Rabbi Tarfon as his colleague and then you should definitely pass it like Rabbi Tarfon? If you view him, again, if you view, we have this principle that we pass it like Rabbi Akiva against his colleague. So if you view Rabbi, this is how Reish Lakish would say, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon are viewed as colleagues, we follow Rabbi Akiva. The halacha is clearly like Rabbi Akiva, therefore the judges who ruled like Rabbi Tarfon have to retract their law and get the money transferred back to the orphans. Rabbi Akiva holds no. Rabbi Tarfun is viewed as his Rebbe. And now we don't have a clear principle whether to paskin like Rabbi Akiva or Rabbi Tarfun. And therefore, you shouldn't undo what the judges have done. It says, Oh, the Iboys have another possibility. Everyone holds that they are his Chavera. And here they are arguing in the following. Matin Itmar. The one holds. Again, this principle that we say we follow Rabbi Akiva over his colleagues, is that the halacha you have to follow Rabbi Akiva over his colleagues? Or do we hold, we're suggested to follow Matin Itmar, we lean to follow Rabbi Akiva? I, again, so that's, the, that's another way of looking at this, this principle. So interesting, at most of these opinions are in how do we understand this principle of we follow the halacha is like Rabbi Akiva. The first suggestion is maybe it's a discussion in do we follow Rabbi Akiva? When we say we follow Rabbi Akiva over a colleague, is that even when he's arguing with his Rabbi? And if it if we don't say that, well then you're going to have to weigh up the halacha. You're going to have to come up with another principle to make to determine the halacha between Rabbi Tarfun or Rabbi Akiva. Another possibility is again, do we how do we view Rabbi Tarfun? But again, if you view Rabbi Tafel as his Rebbe, you're going to have to come up with a new principle. You can't go with the principle that you always that you follow Rabbi Akiva. And then the third possibility was um, when they say that the halacha is, you could say, no, Rabbi Tafel is his colleague, and we do have the general halacha that we follow Rabbi Akiva over his colleagues. But does that mean we follow him as halacha? Is that how you have to do it? Or is it a suggest, the suggest, more like a suggestion? Okay, now we're going to bring a few court cases and some more court cases to do with this discussion. The relatives of Rabbi Yochran took hold of a cow from a simta. Remember this corner of the Rishus Arabim, where Rabbi Yochran and Reish Lokish ruled like, said that Rabbi Tarfun holds that it's a good tfisa. 
if they, it's not, it's only considered the orphan's property if it's in the orphan's property. Even if it's in a quiet corner of the Rishus Harabim, it is not considered the orphan's property. So, so that's where they grabbed it from. So, also the Kamin Rabbi Yochanan Omalu Shapu. So, they came before Rabbi Yochanan to discuss what legal strength do they have. And he said, Yup, it's a good visa. Also, the Kamin Rabbi Shimon Ben Lokesh, they came before Rabbi Shimon Ben Lokesh says, Omalu Zilu Adar. Rabbi Lokesh says, You have to return it. Also, the Kamin Rabbi Yochanan said to Rabbi Yochanan, but wait, you told us that we had a good round. He says, What can I do if my colleagues, my equals, have argued on me? Again, it seems again, Rabbi Yochanan's holding, if you pass me like Rabbi Tarfur, that you can take hold of these items. Or once the items have been taken hold of, it's good. Whereas Reish Lakish is holding, no, you have to pass me like Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva says, Rabbi Akiva is of the opinion that it's still considered the orphans. There was a shepherd who had a, four orphans and he had an ox taken from him. Again, a creditor or someone took an or a, or a woman took for her tzubis, this ox from him. It was a creditor in this case. The Balchov says, I grabbed this cow when the father was still alive. And as we saw at the top of the page, even Rabbi Akiva agrees there that the creditor can keep it. But the herdsman says, No, you grabbed it after death. So Asul Kamil Rab Nachman and Omar Lay. So they went before Rav Nachman and Rav Nachman said to the herdsmen, do you have proof that they grabbed it? Again, because generally, when we're not sure what happened, you leave the money where it is. So these, the creditors were holding on to the cow. Now we're not sure was it grabbed before the father died or after the father died. So we have to leave it where it is. So Rav Nachman says to them, but if you have proof that they grabbed it, then, he, then you're undermining his claim. Because he can't say a muhsak when we know he grabbed it. So that's what Ramadan says. Omalaylav. The herdsman says, I have no proof, no witnesses that they grabbed it. He says, Well, since he would be believed to say I bought it, he'd also be believed to say I um, took hold of it while it was alive. Again, if you see me leaving. Uh, You've got to look at the exact case. You come past my house and you see Benji's bag sitting there. So what do I claim? Or you see a pile of your, even better, you see a pile of your socks there. So what happens? You say I stole them. Or I took hold of them illegally. And I say, no, I bought them. That's a very valid claim that I bought them. And that will win the court case. And therefore, since there's no witnesses that these herdsmen grab the animal, they have a very strong claim of, we bought it. We bought the cow from your father. And so since they make the weaker claim, we let them stand with it. We let them keep that weaker claim. Don't they have to take a shvur that they... Do they have to take a shvur that they bought it? don't think so. I'm not sure. I don't think, think so. Yeah. So on that, but didn't Reish Lokish say that animals do not have a chazaka? There are two reasons given. Animals, first, one reason is they wander around. They just wander off. So this that you find, this that you find Benji's sheep in my garden, is no proof that I bought it. It could have just wandered into my house. Or, you can look at it the other slightly differently, that they, you always leave your sheep to graze wherever they are. So this that I'm holding on to it is no no strong proof that I bought it. That's what it's a whole discussion in Baba Basra, but that would be the essence of it. Again, that got granted granted if I'm holding on to your bag or your socks or you know, an item, what's it doing in my house? I claim I bought it. That's pretty good. That's very strong. Otherwise, how else would it have ended up in my house? But by little by animals you can't say the same thing. There's it depends which way you learn, but there are two good reasons we could give that they ended up there. Um, either I bought it, sorry, either it just wandered there, or, or it wandered and I just took it, or you, you left it outside. So this, that it's not in your property, is no proof that you sold it. So Gamora says, shiny tura de Masira Leroy. No, an ox is different because it's given over to a shepherd. It's only little animals that are left to wander around, sheep and goats. But an ox is different. Interesting question is, 
if you just just to highlight this, do you say the reason why young animals is that they wander by themselves, or is it because you leave them outside? I mean, not so relevant in South Africa, but in lots of countries, you park your car on the street. So the car is never going to wander by itself, but it is left outside. So I come and I find my car in your driveway, and you claim you bought it. If we say it's because, well, they want, little animals wander off, well, a car wouldn't wander off, so you have a good claim. If we say the reason is because I, uh, um, because it's left outside, and you could just take it, well, cars are just left out, not in South Africa, but in other uh, countries, they are just left outside. So again, you wouldn't have a good claim. So that's just the interesting enough, Camina. Let's do one more quick case. It says, Devainus here, Tophus, Amsad Yosmi Misimta. The Devainus, the, fam, the, the household of the Nosi, grabbed the shifra of orphans from a simta, from this corner of the richest family. Yosi, Rebbe, very funny, Rebbe, Poppy, Rebbe, Tanafka, since these were the Dayonim, Rebbe, Avu, Rebbe, Khanina, Rebbe. Uh, Rabbi Hanina bar Papi and Rabbi Yitzchak Nafka, the Yosef Rabbi Abba Gabayu, and Rabbi Abba was sitting by them. Omru lei shapit of They said, "Well, it's a good. You grabbed it. That's good." So Omru lehu Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba said to them, "Mishum devei nasiya ninu machanfilahu." What are you just trying to flatter them because it's the household of the Nasi? It's the household of the you know you you rule in favor with Zuma. Whatever happens, we see what happens when you don't rule in favor with Zuma. Um, so that's a, so devei nasiya. You're just trying to get in their good books. He says, We saw, we know that when other judges judged like Rebbe Tarfon, Reish Lokish made them return it. So he's saying that that's not a good case. Again, that's what we saw up above. That Reish Lokish holds, we pass it like Rebbe Akiva through and through. And therefore, if it's metaltalit and they grab it, they have to return it to the orphans. If it's land, it's a different story. That's where they have the rights to collect from. But Metaltalin have no rights to collect from, and they would have to return it. Just interesting here, just, we're not going to go into now, but something to consider. Do we view slaves as land or Metaltalin? There are different halachas where sometimes we view them as Metaltalin, and sometimes we view them as Karka. Here it seems very clearly that we're viewing it as Metaltalin. Okay, we'll leave it there for today.